I was completely randomly approached by a housing association who asked me if I would um, develop a bungalow for a young man with um, quite complex learning disabilities. Really naively, I went, yeah, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and then um, got involved in this process, developed a property to meet his needs, which I absolutely loved doing. And it felt like it was ticking all my boxes. I was like using my nurse brain and my property brain and a bit of my common sense mum brain all combined going, this is brilliant. This is just what I want to be doing. Dame Stephanie Shirley, I don't know if you've come across her, but she she was a phenomenal lady who was a um, refugee from the Nazis and um, came to the UK in the kinder transport and during the war. And she um, set up in the early 60s an IT company. For a woman to be setting up an IT company and be a founder of an IT company in the 60s was almost unheard of. She's sort of just this amazing entrepreneur. She made an awful lot of money, but she then also then gave gave a lot of it to her staff team when, when she sold and floated the business. She just does things in a really amazing way and then has continued as a famous philanthropist still to this day. And today's guest is Lisa Brown, host of the Supported Living Property Podcast and champion of supported living. Uh, hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining us today. Where are you calling from? Um, I'm down in Devon, actually. That's where I'm based. So thank you for that. Nice wow, did you realize down there? Okay, right. Now, I've, I've got uh, a little bit more on your background in a moment, but to get straight to the inspiration, could you tell us uh, personal is one of your main inspirations and why? Well, it's interesting. When you sent that question over, I realized that actually I'm not very good at having like big famous people as my inspiration. Actually, the people that I get inspired by are the everyday people are doing really amazing stuff. And actually, um, and I, I sort of sat and reflected on it and I was thinking, yeah, there are some people who I think are really cool, but actually the major, the, the most inspiring people are the people who are the day-to-day making a difference. Not the ones who are shouting about it loudly on Instagram or, or making a lot of money out of it, but actually getting on and doing things, you know, like the parents of disabled and sick kids who are just somehow keeping going and the, and all our kind of amazing care staff and NHS staff who at the moment are just struggling and struggling and keeping going every day. I think that's inspiration. That, they're the people who I think we really should be looking up to as a society rather than people who kind of look shiny and perfect on social media. But that, that's my kind of slightly different approach to things. No, really. that's okay. <laughs> Is there any, any specific one you, you, you're allowed to share with us? I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing... Um, From a sort of famous people point of view, um, someone who I think is really inspiring, and I don't think she gets enough recognition, is um, Dame um, Stephanie Shirley. I don't know if you've come across her, but she she was a phenomenal lady who um, was a um, refugee from the Nazis and um, came to the UK in the kinder transport and um, during the war. And she um, set up in the early 60s an IT company for a woman to be setting up an IT company and be a founder of an IT company in the 60s was almost unheard of. And actually what happened was she had to change her name to um, on all her writings and stuff because she was cold calling and writing people and getting nowhere with with clients and investors and stuff and actually when she then changed her letters to debt to Steve Shirley um, rather than Stephanie Shirley she started getting a lot more traction so she's still referred to as Steve Shirley Um, but she's she was phenomenal and she transformed a whole way of working and a whole load of different things she ended up having a disabled son and she set up um, actually what now we would look at as almost a supported living setup, which I know, you know, I'll bang on about at some point and talk about supported living. But, um, you know, and she set that up in an inspirational way uh, on her own. She's sort of just this amazing entrepreneur. She made an awful lot of money, but she then also 
then gave gave a lot of it to her staff team when when she sold and floated the business. She just does things in a really amazing way, and then has continued um, as a as a famous philanthropist still to this day. Um, so she's a bit of a fab person, and I think if people haven't discovered her, she's someone who really you know you sh- we should all know about and and know a lot more about. Really. Brilliant! No, I'll put a link in the show notes to her. Look yeah. forward to looking yeah. that up. Brilliant! Now I've got a bit more on your background here. So you, I mm. believe you started at Manchester University, then you had uh, twenty years uh, as a nurse and health visitor in the NHS, and then you've set up. Pebble Properties, which I believe is your own uh, property business, but and you've specialised in supporting sp- supported living, which I'll ask a bit more about in a moment. And um, then you've been involved in the creation of this brilliant supported living gateway and related resources and costs to help link um, much needed care accommodation with um, property investors who want to be able to provide that. And more recently, you've you started your podcast in that area as well. So there's been a, a few changes along the way. Is there anything you could tell us about what's in, inspired some of that journey? I think um, the getting into supported living, that was the thing that was quite interesting in the way it happened. I um, We moved down to Devon and I struggled to get part-time senior nursing work around the kids. So I decided uh, I would have a play around with property, try and get my head right. I'd always been interested in property. I thought... I'll try and understand that. And I, to be honest, I thought I was going to do a holiday let in the village where I live because it's very pretty. I thought that's what I'll do. Um, and I then started listening to loads of podcast books, learned a lot about property investing and thought, no, actually what I need to do is straightforward and buy to lets. And um, I was then completely randomly approached by a housing association who asked me if I would um, develop a bungalow for a young man with um, quite complex learning disabilities. Really naively, I went, yeah, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and then um, got involved in this process, developed a property to meet his needs, which I absolutely love doing. And it felt like it was ticking all my boxes. I was like using my nurse brain and my property brain and a bit of my common, common sense mum brain all combined going, this is brilliant. This is just what I want to be doing. Worked really well. Um, the young man moved in, was really settled. The local authority used it as a case study of collaboration for how well it worked and how brilliantly the, you know, this this scheme has the the home has helped him. Um, and but as a property investor, I encountered a whole load of problems that I didn't foresee at all because I was so naive about it, really, in hindsight. I didn't realise I was going to struggle to get a mortgage. I didn't realise I was going to struggle to get it insured. I got it massively downvalued. And I kind of was like, this is nuts. Why is this so hard as a property investor to let this property to this organisation who really need it to create a home for a young man who really needs it? Um, and it, as I was, as we'd finished it, all the local care providers were approaching me going, oh, Lisa, can you do me two of those? Can you do me three of those? And I was like, well, no, I've just left far too much money tied up in that deal because they've got downvalued. It's not really the world's best property deal when you look at it. But actually... I kind of felt to my core it was something that we needed to change and we needed to look at why this was a challenge. You know, why is the system not set up for private investors to meet this need that there is for properties? Um, and so I kind of went on this journey again, not really realizing where I was going with it, but just kind of started a Facebook group to reach out to lots of people because I couldn't find anyone talking about supported living anywhere in any of the property groups. I kept searching for the term supported living assisted and there was very little coming up. So I decided to set up a Facebook group as a kind of like a, a you know a stamp in the sand and say right okay is anyone else doing this let's try and bring people together and talk about it. 
and that's where it kind of came from. And then from there, it became really apparent there was this need for this matching service, you know, to bring um, people with property, small private property investors and sort of medium and larger size developers as well, together to, to bring them together with the providers. Because what the more conversations I had with the providers, I realized how little they understood about property. They just, you know, they're great at doing care. And then they're told by the local authorities they need to do supported living now, as this is the way it needs to be delivered. And then suddenly they need to organize leases and rents and tenancy agreements. And they don't understand that side of things. Some do, some are brilliant, but a lot of the new ones don't. And then you've got the property investors who equally say, oh, I like the idea of this, actually. Yeah, I'd like to let my property to someone, but I don't know how to do it. How do I speak to them? A bit scared about this. Does this mean, what does it mean for me and my property? So that's where the gateway really came from, is we ended up kind of just trying to act as a um, a translator service between these two different groups and bringing them together to essentially just create more homes for people who need them the most, really, in our society at the moment. Yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. And yeah, it's I'm sure it's going to send ripples out into the future. You know, you having planted this seed, even though, you know, it still might be hurdles in making your dream real it's you know you've set some groundwork that people you know can continue to build on so yeah thanks for doing that and you know it sounds like it was an inspiring property that first one you did uh, are there any other inspiring stories from within that supported living space that you're allowed to share with us that you know there's so many and so many heartbreaking stories as well Ian. you know the stories i hear on the phone Every day are the stories of the people who are stuck in long-term hospitals and long-term treatment centres who who need a home but can't move out because there isn't the right property for them. The people, you know, there's so many kind of sad stories as well. But there was a a really lovely story of a um, a young man who, um, sadly, he was in a shared house. His relationship with the other people he was sharing broke down. He has quite complex learning disabilities and autism. And the, what they said, essentially the placement breakdown is what they're calling it. So he needed to be out of that home in, and into a home of his own. And they decided it was better to place him in a home of his own. And we were approached by the care provider. This was actually over Christmas. This was um, not this Christmas, Christmas before, but it's a story that's really stuck with me because it was. So the care provider like phoned me up on and she she phoned me up on like the 23rd of December. And Lisa, we, we need to move someone in before Christmas. <laughs> we need a house. I was like, right. OK, tell me a bit more. And um. She really needed to get this, you know, this young man into a property of his own. We went onto the, the portal. Luckily, there was a property where she needed it in the right area. Um, and it was a, a detached red brick um, house, which was perfect and just what they needed for his needs. And they, the care team and the landlord worked round the clock, actually, to get this young man moved in between Christmas and New Year's. So it wasn't before Christmas, but still pretty quick. It was one of those things where all the stars aligned because the, the property had just finished the refurb. Actually, the cleaning had just been done. You know, it was all kind of ready to go and they could move in quickly. But the lovely thing was this young man um, said, I have always dreamed of having a re- of living in a red brick house. And his mom said this is exactly the kind of house he'd always talked about and described. And that was the house that he ended up moving into. And yeah, that's fabulous and he was really settled in this property and it's it's been a really good move for him so yeah so that's lovely and it's beautiful seeing you light up with the opportunity to kind of address these challenges with what you've built it's uh yeah that, that's that's beautiful and you mentioned complex needs there so for people who you know either maybe landlords or think about getting into property you could you summarize you know what what the that extra piece is um needed in a property for the more supported living situation 
as opposed to just a, a normal tenant? I mean, both of the young men I've talked about have been people with learning disabilities. And and there's a lot of controversy around the term complex needs or challenging behaviours as sometimes things are described because actually they're very much our perception of somebody's needs. You know, it's very much an imposed view. But basically, it's someone with maybe... Um, more a higher care and support needs that's kind of what we're talking about from from a property perspective sometimes those individuals require some adaptations to the property so they may require slightly more robust fixtures and fittings or they may require strengthened glass in the windows it depends on the behaviors of the individuals and and um what what would make the property safe for them but i i I often talk about these ones because these are the ones that are really close to my heart. But actually, the majority of our providers coming to the gateway looking for properties very rarely require any adaptations or just a few adaptations. So I think I don't want people to think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to completely redo my property to meet somebody's needs, because actually... We also work with so many different organisations who support people who've been street homeless or have milder learning disabilities or um, teenagers leaving the care system, survivors of domestic abuse. There's a whole host of people who actually really don't require any any adaptations to what you would do to a good quality private rental property. Sometimes we're asked for a few things like a few extra fire doors or um, maybe a slightly different locking system something like that but really nothing complex so um you know so it it is very easy when i get carried away to be talking about some of these people to think about high level of adaptations but that's not always required at all no no thank you for answering that um now i love inspiring events that dissolve barriers between people and kind of bring them together can you think of an inspiring event that you've come across in that space that's uh, that's like dissolved barriers and brought people together I mean, you could say moving that that young man in over Christmas, the care team and the landlords gave gave up part of their Christmas holidays and moved this young man. Apparently he had 30 statues that he was really attached to that were a big part of his sort of comfort. And they managed to get a lorry driver to to do that on Boxing Day, move 30, lorry, <laughs> 30 statues from where he was originally to his garden. So, you know, that it's, it's times like that, isn't it, where people pull together to really make a difference to somebody. And I think... There are often times when there's some adversity or people are under some duress, aren't they? I think that the time when everyone pulls together, when that really lovely kind of um, thing happens, you see it a lot. You know, with my nursing background, I can think of lots of times when that's happened in the emergency department, when someone's been really, really poorly and you have this huge team all around, all working together, all sort of, you know, pulling to try and literally save somebody's life, you know, and, and that's an amazing, inspiring feeling to feel part of that team. Um, you know, there's there's so many times, aren't there, that you kind of a part of that where it all kind of just magically, everyone pulls in, is completely focused and, and is trying to, to make that difference, you know, in some way or another. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And is there any time when you've been at a bit of a low ebb and some things managed to inspire you through or, or along to the next thing? I think... The thing that I find in, you know, growing a business and doing this, the supportive gateway, it's really frustrating at times. It's hard work. And I think it's, um, you know, I can come onto podcasts and talk about all the lovely things, but actually day to day, the battling and the conversations with people and trying to get people to think in a slightly different way can be really challenging. And sometimes I feel a bit like I'm banging my head against a brick wall. 
And I find the thing that really helps me is to pick up the phone to our providers. So when I feel like, oh, why am I doing this? This is nuts. There's a, you know, if I'd just grown a property business, it'd be, I could probably be lying on a beach sipping <laughs> cocktails by now. Not really me, but I probably could be. Um, but, you know, actually, if I, you know, putting the energy into this is a bigger reason for doing it. But when I pick up the phone, I've, what I've learned is that I pick up the phone to our providers then. And I, and I have these conversations with the providers about the properties they're looking for, hearing those stories about the people who really need these properties that, you know, I had a conversation about um, some young asylum seekers of five young asylum seekers um, on the streets of London, scared, terrified, that try, and trying to find them the right property. You have those conversations and you think, no, I know exactly why I'm doing this. This is exactly what this is about. We need to just sort this out and sort, solve this problem and get people properties. And and that's what keeps me focused. I think when I do start feeling a bit like, what am I doing? No, that's that's <laughs> that's very powerful. Yes, yeah, certainly for me as a fledgling property person. Yeah, that yeah really really helps kind of mm, kind mm. of focus things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as part of the Spotted Living Gateway, you're offering a course as well, aren't you? Mm. To to yeah. to people who want to get involved to explain what what's involved and you know the various specifics and when you're talking about challenges um there's one i saw on one of your recent uh, podcast episodes which to me seems we're well, just crazy how the world is but it's that one where if you want to do a property for supported living but they need an office in the you know three or five bed house whatever it is for the you know the care provider to be based to provide the care because the mortgage companies don't like that, I believe, because it's classed as a, well, it's no longer a you know, living accommodation, it's a, yeah. an office. It kind of makes it really difficult to, to make it happen. Is that correct? That's Yeah, it's crazy. And I think there's a lot of issues with um, underwriting and the mortgage brokers not. And I think a lot of it comes down to a lack of understanding of supported living and a bit of fear, to be honest, a bit like, oh, it's a bit different. Not sure I get it. Um, no, we just say no to things. So we are trying to kind of campaign and have conversations with underwriters to make them realise that there's this really rich seam here, actually, from a business development point of view. There's a lot of properties required. Yes. And if if as a mortgage company, you can come up with the right product that's going to meet these needs, you, actually, you've got really good business model, you know, so trying to help people to understand it. So the kind of campaigning side of what we do at Gateway is trying to raise awareness of that and trying to help people to, to see the difference. And and I think the more conversations we have about it and the more we raise that awareness of it with people, I think it, you know, help people to understand it better. And that that's why the training course came about in, you know, I, I publicly say quite regularly, I never wanted to get into the property training world. It's a bit of a murky space, really, isn't it? And I think there's a lot of, of stuff that, you know, I, I never wanted to be part of, but we were asked repeatedly to mentor people, to train people. And it felt like actually we needed to do something to meet that need. We couldn't do it all on a one-to-one -one basis. So we did design a course and we've just run it. We've run it four times. This will be the fifth one that we're running in February. And it is simply just a, a it's a, this is what we know about it course. So people can just, you know, come along and, and find out about it. And there's no great upsell to another five products or anything else like that. This is the course we offer. So, yeah. yeah. And what I just really couldn't believe is the fact that you've got some care providers that actually got, like a hunting brief that almost saying you know we we so much need this kind of property in this kind of area if you can go and buy us one that looks just like this one that's a right move you know we'll let's enter into deep negotiations with a high likelihood of, of going ahead and that's like what it's a such 
you know, it's almost on your putting it on a plate for you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's basically if you're looking to build a supported living portfolio, it's an amazing way to do it, really. And, and I know I'm biased, but the conversations I was having with people at the beginning when I said I think we should look at this buy to order and putting forward those proposals of what you know the property investors put forward, what it is they're looking for, and say actually if someone was to buy this, like you say, we'd lease it for five years, we'd pay this much rent. As a property investor, you can really quickly look at that, say that that would work for me. Those numbers would work. They don't meet my parameters, you know, and work out which ones you could go ahead with. Um, and we, we were talking about it and people, are, oh, no, you, you won't get many of those, Lisa. There won't be many providers who, who want that. We're at hundreds and hundreds of that demand now. So, you know, there is, there is massive, massive demand for, for the properties that are needed. Brilliant. And then so what what's next for the supported living gateway? Is there anything on the agenda there? Yeah, there's so much we need to do. I think, you know, we need to make our service better. We need to make it easier for everyone to access the services that we offer. I think, you know, ideally we need a lot more staff in the team to be able to do this better. So we're looking at how we can grow well to to deliver the services for people, Um, you know, and the continuing the campaigning and raising awareness and just helping people to understand this space really and understand how much impact you can have as a property investor, which I think people often, well, you know, property investors get maligned, don't they? We're all evil. They're all terrible money grabbing people. But actually, the majority of the property investors I speak to are really keen, love the idea they can make a difference with their property, love the fact that something they own can create a home for someone who really, really needs it. It's such a powerful thing to be able to do. So yeah continuing that really yeah no thank you one of my most inspiring things is a few years ago in somewhere in scotland there's it's kind of a a combination of a care home and a restaurant and it's like the center of the local community and they somehow use the restaurant to help the the people in the care home come out and you know witness and be part of the community instead of just being totally closed off but also it kind of helped bring income to to fund the the care home from the local community and it's like mm. wow this is uh, and there's lots of amazing things like that exist in it yeah, yeah it's just yeah, like but a, it's, it's it that's a really good model isn't it we and we've got organizations looking for you know community cafes and spaces where they can do those kind of things where you know you know and or charity shops that they'll have a, a you know adjacent to a property so you're looking for employment and being like you're saying integrating learning new skills being part of the community as well as you know, it's really important for all of us. We all need purpose, you know, no matter what your disability or your background, you, everyone needs a purpose, don't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah but I didn't realise you were, you know, potentially helping, yeah, the care providers look for the non-residential stuff as well. So that's, yeah, that's an exciting... It's, it's something... Yeah, it's something I've been sort of asked for increasingly. So I'm like, well, put it through the buy to order. If it's something you need, put it through. We may well have property investors who would help you with things like that. So, you know, there's, I I, I actually haven't been into the buy to order for a little while. I, I don't tend to deal with that side of it so much just because I'm so busy with the other bits. But um, I don't know if any of them have actually submitted any of those. But certainly the conversations I have, people are looking for some of those properties. So, yeah, it will be coming, I'm sure, at some point. Wow. Uh, I saw recently on uh, your posts, you've been doing something that I've been having a go at, which is these kind of cold dips or like in the sea in the in the middle of yeah. winter. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I it's something I've always wanted to do. I've always loved swimming. I did swimming quite a lot at, when I was younger and um, I've always wanted to swim more outside. And I 
started it with some friends I think May time some of the friends I'm swimming with have done it for years so I'm regularly outside and they're like come on Lisa okay right fine so I started in May and my plan was to try and carry on and see if I could carry on through the winter and see if I could keep going and I did my you know and I have done I've done it once or twice a week all the way through and it's been really really brilliant actually and I think um it is, you know, I know it's kind of quite trendy at the moment and there's quite a lot of talk about it. So I kind of feel like it looks like you've been jumping on a bit of a bandwagon. But actually, the benefits are really powerful and you do feel this just amazing sense of kind of just resetting everything as you enter the cold water. And um, because my kids are school age kids, I, I need to I generally get up. I mean, they're teenagers, you know, but I generally get up and go and swim before and get back and then get them up for school, um, which is the time, you know, but it does mean at the moment you're swimming in the dark. So, you know, you're getting up, you're scraping the ice off your car, you drive, it's only a few minutes drive, but I'm driving to the beach, throwing myself in in the dark sea (laughs) and then coming out again. And every time as I'm driving there, this is nuts. What am I doing? This is crazy. Why am I doing this? To walk around on the cliff path. It's not, it's not an unsafe path. It's a very steady path, but you know, to walk around with my head torch on in the dark. But every time it's like a little mini adventure, really. You've kind of got the stars around and it's beautiful. And, and then you're throwing yourself into this really cold, beautiful sea. Um, and sometimes it's raining and you've got sideways wind. And, you know, obviously if the, the sea's really unsafe, you're not going. But it's a very sheltered little beach that we swim at, which is generally very, very rarely is it unsafe to swim. So, um, yeah, it is, it's been brilliant and I love it. And, um, yeah, I'll be up at some stupid time tomorrow morning doing it again. <laughs> brilliant. No, thank you for, for sharing that. Well, my, my bit of journey, I'd been doing the cold showers for the best part of a, a year, not every day, but most days. And that was amazing on a morning. But then I've just had a holiday at Christmas uh, to Canary Islands. And because you're going in the sea, you don't, like, get showered in the morning. You know, you get showered at the end of the day to get rid of the sand. And I thought, well, wait a minute, can I somehow reverse this? with the cold thing when I get back home because I'm miles away from the sea. So basically the last two weeks, pretty much every day, and it's crazy, but I love it. At the end of the working day, I have a cold bath and then a hot shower after. (laughs) But And it's like, what are you going at five o'clock or six o'clock? You you can't get in a cold bath now. And I'll tell you what, I was doing the yoga on holiday as well. I went to a yoga class. So I like to do 20 minutes of yoga, then the cold bath and hot shower and then a bit of this deep breathing thing. And at seven o'clock, when I've done that, I feel like a new person. Like, and the evening is, I'm so revved up to go and enjoy my evening. It's like, well, why have I never done this before? So it's, yeah, yeah. I, it's such, for me personally, and I'm guessing you'll get something similar. It's, the, it's just invigorating. It's, yeah, like yeah. it's a resetting. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for, yeah. for sharing that because uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. It is, it really is. It's definitely worth trying. And now it's time for quick fire inspiration. Your most inspiring films. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Have you come across that? That's a really, that's a really inspiring film. That's brilliant. It's about a boy in Malawi who um, develops a wind turbine to create um, energy and um, water for his village. It's a brilliant film. Yeah, well worth watching. Okay, yeah, put in the show notes. Um, then your most inspiring aspect of nature water the sea basically but if i can't be near the sea then a river or a lake or something some body of water i lived for for a while in a town that didn't even have a river and i really really felt that (laughs) i I love to be near water of some sort yeah yeah. me too i need to move no close to the sea i really do yeah the most inspiring aspect of design or style art deco 
I love Art Deco. Um, yeah, I love Art Deco buildings. I love Art Deco furniture. Um, yeah, it's, it breaks my heart when people are still pulling out 1930s fireplaces. Like, leave them alone. I see property developers doing it all the time. I'm just like, oh, leave them. They'll be, they're so beautiful and they'll be really desirable again in the future. Yeah, even because I, mean, I looked at one just before Christmas and it, it wasn't Art Deco. It was, you know, 1970s mm. or 80s style, really. Yeah. But it was so immaculately kept and... I thought that would it's absolute carnage to buy that and rip it out because it's so yeah. beautifully clean and f- functional. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe you can somehow do a, some retro holiday. It was a bungalow, but I thought, you know, yeah. maybe this scope to do a kind of a retro Airbnb. So anyway, yeah, that was a crazy yeah, idea. Yeah, I'm but, sure there is. I really think there is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your most inspiring song or one of them that you sing, you put on before you're going out? Or you. <laughs> dodgy like musical stuff to be honest the, the thing I like hearing the, my, my son plays the trumpet and um, one, one plays the trumpet one plays the trombone my trombone playing son is kind of not playing very much at the moment despite me trying to keep him motivated but my trumpet playing son I love hearing him play stuff that that's the best thing to hear him doing that that's really fab oh beautiful and the last one um your most inspiring aspect of travel being on a train in wherever I've done a lot of train journeys in lots of different countries and I think it's just the best way to travel to experience being part of where where you are and really see the community and you get to see really interesting bits of it and you get to try lots of interesting food on a lot of the trains or you know yeah being on the train yeah definitely could you pick what one of the countries just to give us a, a vision of what, what, what it might have been I suppose um I lived in Thailand I taught English in Thailand for a year and this was a long time ago before Thailand was like a, the tourist tourist package destination that it is now it was kind of quite a remote place to go in some places and um so I spent a lot of time traveling around the country I was earning a local wage so I had very little money so we were traveling you know with local people you know traveling all around the country um and the food on the trains is you know anyone who's been to Thailand knows the food's amazing but the food on the trains is brilliant and you have people walking up and down the whole time selling snacks and really interesting beautiful bits of fruit and lovely bits of barbecued meat and oh I would go back and sit on that train just for the food yet alone the beautiful sunsets over these huge paddy fields beautiful oh that sounds amazing i never i don't think i I went for one holiday to thailand but i don't think i ever caught a train so yeah that's one that i'd not not thought about brilliant train system yeah okay now for people who've got inspired and they want to turn that into action do you have any tips on that it's hard isn't it i think um working out what it is that fires you up because if you're looking at setting up a business or doing something different it's hard work and you're going to battle a lot of things a lot of the time so you have to have some bigger purpose some bigger reason as to why you want to do it when when things are hard because otherwise it's why do you keep going really so I think trying to really listen to your inner self and really be really true to yourself and work out what that is and that takes time that takes a bit of time and And I find if I'm unsure about what it is I want, um, something I find really powerful is just to write down. So sit there with a blank notebook or blank few pages in a notebook and a pencil often I prefer to a pen, but you know, we're all personal and just write whatever comes out all kinds of, and I often find some really interesting thoughts that you don't really, you're not conscious of actually come out in the writing as your answers to questions. So for me, that's, that's a good way to kind of find inspiration and, and find what it is I'm really thinking. But I know for other people, it's they'll create mind maps or, you know, we all work in different ways, don't we? But, but for me, a blank piece of paper and a pencil is the way to go. Thank you. And uh, I'm coming towards uh, the end now, a last couple of questions. What's most right in the world? That's a really interesting question, that one. I, I think it's, when my children get on with each other, I get this really sense of calm. 
any parent knows, you know, and we all know that, you know, we don't get on sometimes with our siblings. Sometimes we get on well with them. Sometimes we really, really hate them. There's no one who can infuriate you more than a sibling. So I think actually when when I see my two lads getting on well and enjoying each other's company, particularly if we're doing something together, but if I can just, I get this little peek where I see them and I'm like, oh, all is calm with the world. All is right. And I've okay, they're actually, they're good people. They do like each other. They don't, they're not actually going to kill each other if I'm not here. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you. That I really, that is is really beautiful. And what is the next book on your reading list? Uh, So um, I mentioned um, Dame um, Shirley earlier, and I've only read one of her books. And actually, it's been ordered for me for Christmas, but it hasn't arrived yet because it's a bit complicated to get hold of. But it's um, So To Speak, her book which is a collection of all her um, speeches. So I'm really looking forward to, to getting hold of that one. But I'm a bit of a nightmare. I generally have about four or five different books on the go and dip in and out of different all different things. But that one is, I'm really looking forward to reading. And, and what, can you remember what her other one was called? Her other book? Um, Let It Go. Okay. Let It Go. Yeah, I think it's called Let It Go. Yeah, yeah. That's her, that's her autobiography. And that's really, really worth reading. Yeah. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and if people want to get in touch with you, how should they do that? I'm on... All social media stuff, basically, obviously, everyone, the surname Brown, everyone has. So if you put Lisa Brown property and I generally come up, um, I've got a YouTube channel and the podcast is Supported Living Property Podcast, but all of the podcasts are also on YouTube. Um, And then there's the supportedlivinggateway.com if people want to get hold of us and see what we do. That's there. And and the gateways on all the social channels, too. So we're fairly easy to get hold of. I'm sure you put my contact details in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, thank you for, for that inspiration today. Thanks. It's been really great chatting to you, Ian. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa, for your inspiration today. And thanks so much for the great work you're doing to help with supported living. Here's Lisa's top 10 hits of inspiration. One, like Lisa, get inspired by NHS workers and the parents of sick and disabled children who just keep going. Two, get inspired by refugees who have done great things against all the odds and made amazing things happen, like Dame Stephanie Shirley. Three, get inspired by supported living and by how Lisa is paving the way to make this more possible for people. Four, get inspired by the supported living gateway, acting as a matchmaker between landlords wanting to get involved and the care providers needing the specialist accommodation. Five, Get inspired by people pulling together to make a success out of an adverse situation and the honour of being part of that. 6. Let the genuine need of care providers in the property arena and the need of the vulnerable people that they are helping be a motivation when it seems like you're banging your head against the wall. 7. Get inspired by cold dips in the sea to reset everything as you go in the water. 8. Get inspired by train journeys in foreign countries, particularly the food that you get on the train. 9. Get inspired by working out what fires you up and give yourself time for this to write down what your inner self and truth are saying. And finally 10. Enjoy the wonderful calm when siblings are getting on really well. So beautiful. Thanks so much for your inspiration. Thanks for joining me today. Watch out for news on our new group. Thank you everyone for listening today. Your kind attention is really appreciated and valued. 
If you feel some inspiration from today's episode, please share it. And please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you wish, leave us some comments. In your comments, please let us know any inspirational subjects you'd like us to cover. As I aim to build a bank of both inspiration and stories of events that inspired close connection between groups of people. If you have something to share in this space, send me an email at inspiringteamhuman at gmail.com. Thanks again. Look forward to seeing you next week for another boost of inspiration. Thanks to Ben Sound for the music.